0: All right, let's pray, and let's begin. Father in heaven, we come before you again, and we thank you for your mercy and for your grace, and we thank you, Lord, for your revelation. We pray that you will bless this time and help us to know how you have acted in history. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today is week two of our series on the Lord of the Covenants. wanna do a quick recap of what we did last week and then move into the other topics. Okay, so last week we started by defining what a covenant is and we said covenants are all about relationship, okay? There are other aspects to covenants like promises, oaths, pledges, rituals and obligations and all of that but primarily in the Bible covenants are about relationship. Okay, and then we contracted, sorry, we contrasted a contract and a covenant. And we said a contract is basically, it's not a relationship. It is an agreement, and it is something that, it's a transaction more than a relation. Like when you go to a store, you buy, you have a contract, and you sign a contract, you don't have a relationship with the storekeeper, right? So it is more uh, transactional, but covenant is more relational, We looked at the types of covenants. We spoke about unilateral and bilateral covenants, and we also went into suzerain vassal and royal grant covenants. Um, The other part that we also mentioned was that all of biblical narrative, one way to look at it is it is structured through covenants. From the beginning till even where we are now, biblical narrative is structured through covenants. Uh, so where are we now in the biblical narrative? Anybody? In the new covenant, yes. So we are in the new covenant, and we who are Christians, we are all part of the new covenant. So we also are in a covenant relationship with God, okay? So that's important for us to keep in mind as we look at this. Um, and then we said we want to study the covenants because we want to understand who Jesus is and what he did what he accomplished he said he said i came to fulfill the law and the prophets what did he accomplish so that's something that we want to understand also as we study these covenants and the other thing we also said was it's important for us to understand the covenants because depending on how you understand the covenants you will come up with different theologies and because of these different theologies you will end up with different practices. And one thing that we spoke about was infant baptism. We'll look at that more when we get into the Abrahamic covenant and uh, further covenants, but depending on how you understand the covenants, your theology is shaped, and based on that, your practice is shaped, okay? So it is important for us to understand the covenants accurately, and there are different ways of dispensational, covenant theology. We look at all of that towards the end, but first, we want to understand the covenants, okay? So if you're curious, I'm using the book on the left. <laughs> on my right, to your left, um, that's the book that I'm using for this class. It's a big, fat book, uh, so if you're really studious and uh, adventurous, go for it. But if you want a condensed version of it, the book on my right, your left, I don't know, whichever, the God's Kingdom Through God's Covenants, that's a simplified version of uh, Kingdom Through Covenant, and you can read through that also. It gives you a lot of the same information, but in a simplified way. Okay, so having said that, let's um, look at our first topic today. So When we were talking about covenants last week, one of the questions that was raised was, what is the relationship between covenants? Are the covenants related? And any guesses? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, that was easy. Um, Yes, the covenants are related. And we'll look at uh, just very high level today, but as we get into the covenants, we can see more how each covenant is related. We will look at one example today, and, uh, but when we get into the covenants, we can see how each covenant is related to other covenants or the previous covenants. The covenants, they are not random, right? So God did not just, oh, I feel like giving, making a covenant, so let's just go and make a covenant. No, that's not what God did. They are all part of a unified revelation of God's redemptive plan. So we said that one way to structure the biblical narrative is through covenants. Uh, There is another very common way that biblical narrative is structured. It's uh, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That's another way that you can structure it also. But all of that talks about God's redemptive plan. What is God doing? And how is he interacting with humans? How is he redeeming them? And what is his plan from the beginning? That is what he has revealed through these covenants and through the relationship that he has uh, established or uh, enacted through different covenant mediators. Okay? So again, when we talk about God's redemptive plan, it starts with Adam and then moves all the way through different people in the Old Testament, comes to Christ, and then it moves into the new creation. The first thing that we have to do is we have to understand the covenants in their context in redemptive history. So we spoke about this last week. Anytime that you're reading the Bible, it's important to know where you are in the Bible. What is going on? What has happened so far? And where are the people or where is the narrative at this point? If you're in, say, the Psalms, you know that most of the covenants have already come. Like David, if he's writing the Psalm after 2 Samuel chapter 7 then you know that the Davidic covenant has been announced to him. So there are so many covenants that have gone ahead. So you have to keep in mind where you are. And at the same time, we have to understand the covenants in their context. Like when you think about Abraham, you cannot start imposing the law onto Abraham and at that time because the law is not yet given, right? But when you look at Abraham, Noah happened before Abraham. And before that, there was creation. Right? So you have to keep everything in context, and you have to understand where each one is. And you have to look back to what happened, understand with respect to what happened previously. And then you also have to look forward, but with respect to Christ, because that's where we are. Right, And what we're saying is Christ fulfilled all of these covenants. And the new covenant is a fulfillment, and we are enjoying what Christ did. So we have to keep in mind, when we look at any of the covenants, understand what the covenant is to start with, and then look back, okay, what happened before it, right? And then look forward, okay, so what does that mean for us today through Christ? Any questions so far? I didn't I didn't pay you, did I? Because you're leading me on to my next topic. <laughs> okay. You, you still can't pay me. I still can't pay you? Okay. Fair enough. So let's look at Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 to 19. Can someone read that please? Yes, Becky, go ahead. So give me one give us one second let everyone turn to it. Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 to 19. All right. So here Paul is addressing the pro- the two covenants here. In fact, if you look at it, so the problem that was going on in the Galatian church was the Judaizers, and they thought that the law was an end to itself. The law is it, and that is it, and they said that the law was immutable, imperishable, eternal, and all those things. They thought the law was an end to itself, and the law is above everything. But Paul is sort of correcting them, and he's telling them, no the law came 430 years after the promise and he's giving us a human illustration to say once the covenant has been ratified can something after that annul it? or what's um sorry my eyes <laughs> now the promises were spoken to abraham and to his seed What I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise, okay? So Paul is saying, you have a promise, the law was given, but the promise still stands. The Judaizers were looking only at the Sinai covenant, they were not looking at what happened before, right? And then Paul is saying that, then, so why was the law given? For transgression. And he says the law was given as a tutor so that it will keep us in check and guide us. And eventually, the law's purpose was till the seed which was promised to Abraham appears, who was Christ. And when the Christ came, it was the end of the law, the promise was fulfilled. So the promise was is not nullified because of the law. So this is one example, and we'll look at more as we go through each of these covenants, but we have to look back to what happened and, again, what did God promise and how does that apply to us in Christ. Uh, Bina, you have a question? Yeah, I'll take glasses. (laughs) Yes, Kevin? Kevin?
1: they did the same thing right but but he treats this one differently because they have not yet received the law it's really interesting actually if you, if you, if you read um, Exodus and Leviticus if the understanding that God is, is actually creating a nation and he's going to do that with his law to some some extent I mean they they really are um, according to Ezekiel and judges they are when they cry out for help, they're not even crying to Yahweh. They're just crying because of their oppression. Who hears them? So he's teaching them what it's like. So then later, again, the law is given, and, and he treats them differently. Again. And then when you get to the New Testament, something like the Sabbath, again fulfilled in Christ. There, there may be principles there that we can kind of carry on over to the Lord's Day or, or whatever. But but all that the Sabbath point to is now to, meant to be enjoyed in Christ. So we do not practice those laws. Any part of them the law we, we practice whatever
0: the fulfillment looks like in Christ so that would be another example. yeah just to summarize before the law was given God did not punish the same crimes but once the law was given there was punishment defined and God punished those sins and now we look at Jesus how that law is fulfilled summary for the <laughs> recording yes Ryan Uh, That's a good question. Hold on to it when we start looking at the new covenant and how Christ fulfilled those. But that's a good question. Now, if you cannot wait for the answer uh, till we get to that class in, um, when we get to that particular topic in our class, you can go to my website and I have written two articles about does the law apply to us Christians and the second one is what must we do with the law. So yeah, you can look at that if you, are, if you cannot wait for the class and if you need to know it right now. All right, any questions before we move to, our, to the next slide? So that it's, important, it's important to keep in mind how we understand these laws. And as Kevin said, it all comes down to Christ and how we see all of these covenants through Christ. All right, so before we touch on our first covenant, I want to talk about an important topic. It's called typology. Um, It's important for us to understand how Christ fulfills these covenants. It's a little bit of, um, it could be academic, but I don't want to make it academic. I want to make it uh, more uh, real so that when we look at the covenants and when we try to understand what Christ did and how he fulfilled the concept of typology is very important to understand that. So let's look very briefly, and I want to try and keep it simple. So if you have already heard of this word typology or the concept of typology, can someone uh, give me some answers? Not Kevin, what is typology? That's the question, not Kevin. Is it like foreshadowing? Foreshadowing, okay. Close, yes? Anybody else? Points towards, the future fulfillment. points towards future fulfillment, yes. And, it's a fulfillment in what's the fulfillment. and a greater fulfillment, yes. Okay, one last. Try, anybody? Type of, Type of Christ. Okay, that's, that's good too. All right, let's, let's look at some of the definitions here. Um, there is a very academic definition. Uh, this will be on the slides, but I did not put it in your handouts. But I think it, was, it is very helpful, and I have highlighted some important words in this definition. Typology as a New Testament hermeneutical endeavor as how you understand the New Testament. It is the study of Old Testament salvation historical realities. It's important that they are historical realities of types, and those types could be persons, events, or institutions, which God has specifically designed to correspond to and predictively prefigure their intensified antitypical fulfillment aspects in new testament salvation history so again think about we'll look at this a little in detail but look at the just concentrate on the words that are highlighted it's a historical reality and it was specifically designed by god to correspond to and predictively prefigure some and be intensified in the fulfillment in new testament Okay, so again, this uh, definition will be on the slide when it goes on the website, but let's look, break this down and look at the first one. Typology, it's a symbolism with a prospective reference to fulfillment in a later epoch or time of biblical history. So there is a symbol or there is a type, say in the Old Testament, and it's pointing to a fulfillment in a later time. It could be later in the Old Testament, or it could be in the New Testament, or it could be beyond that, okay? So it's a symbol with prospective reference. It is rooted in historical realities. It's not something that you just make up, right? And this is where you get into the question of allegory and Again, there are so many times, so many things are attributed to Christ which the Bible doesn't really speak of. Um, One example is Philo. He considered him being Greek and with his Greek philosophy and Greek uh, understanding, he considered Adam as the symbol of human reason. Now that is an allegory. There's nothing in the Bible which says that Adam is a symbol of human reason, okay? The same way, you could look at some other interpretations to say that Eve or Sarah is the church in the Old Testament. That's not there. That's an allegory which you're reading into the text that's not there. You are trying to uh, make something out of it which is actually not there, okay? But in typology, it is rooted in historical realities like a place, a person, an event, or an institution and we'll look at some examples as we in the next slide but it's important to keep that in mind that it is a historical reality. And there is an organic relationship between the type which is earlier and the antitype which comes later. Okay, there is an organic relationship. Again, we'll look at some examples and we'll see what those organic relationships are. Again, it is pro- it is prophetic and predictive but it is not direct. Okay? It is not direct and I will try to read from Romans 16:25 to 27 here. Okay, Romans 16:25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. So again, it is not direct and this is the concept of mystery mystery as in oh we'll never understand but no it was kind of hidden in the uh, old testament or in the late, in the earlier time but now has been revealed through christ right and we'll look at some examples and probably it will help in that when we look at some examples again it is intensified or greater so the from when you move from the type to the antitype, or from the symbol to the actual fulfillment, it is intensified, which means you go from the lesser to the greater. One example is priesthood, right? You had priests in the Old Testament, and they would go every year and offer the sacrifices, but then the New Testament says Christ, Jesus, is our high priest, and he does it once and for all. So he is greater, and if you l- read Hebrews, you can see how Jesus is greater than everything, like the covenant, the priest, the, uh, Abraham, and Moses, and all of those things, right? Um, so you could look at Hebrews as a big typology book, but um, Jesus, when he fulfilled it, he fulfilled it to a greater extent than what was spoken about in the Old Testament, The fulfillment is first in Christ, and it is then extended to us, right? So when we look at how we are in the new covenant and how those promises of God have been fulfilled for us, we have to look at it as how is it first fulfilled in Christ? Because all of God's promises are, yes, in Christ. And then because of our union with Christ, we then benefit or appropriate it. Okay, so the first thing that we have to see is how is it fulfilled in Christ? And then there could be multiple fulfillments, not just one fulfillment. Think about the Exodus event, right? God delivered people from slavery in uh, the book of Exodus. Now, that is a type for anybody? What would that correspond to later in history? Redemption, freedom of sin, yes. So just like God delivered the Israelites, his people, from bondage, from slavery, Christ now redeemed us from our bondage to sin, right? Um, Is there another fulfillment of that? Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. So fulfilled in Jesus, yes. Um, You could also see how Israel was in exile in Babylon, and God delivered Israel from um, their slavery in Babylon, and after 70 years of exile, they were delivered. That is also pre-shadowing, sorry, Exodus pre-shadows that also. Another interpretation, and you can take it for what it is, but it is when Christ will come and take his church from this world. Right. That's another kind of Exodus. When Jesus comes again, he will take his church and we will not be bound to this world anymore. Right. So, again, Exodus, the event, pre-shadows all of these different things. So in the Bible, there are specific verses which actually use this, use the verbiage of type and example and um, those verses I've given you in your handout. But let's just look at Romans 5, 14. In Romans 5, Paul is contrasting Adam and Christ. And in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of... uh, Yeah, okay, sorry, let me read this again. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So, So again, you can look at the other verses when you go back home, but clearly this typology is in the Bible. And our first example is Adam. As we just read, um, Adam was a type of Christ. And we look at it more when we see how Christ fulfilled what Adam could not. Okay. Other examples, seed in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, um, your seed, um, I, I will bless your seed. And then Paul picks it up in Galatians 3 to say Jesus is that seed. And you could go back to the seed even in Genesis 3, 15, where God said the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. So again, seed, that's another typology which, again, finds its fulfillment in Christ. Temple. Temple is huge, and I have so many references for this because you can see that first, notion of temple or tabernacle was in Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 31. That's where God gives clear instructions to build a tabernacle. And then that is picked up later in 2 Samuel 7 when David says, I'm going to build God a temple. And then eventually Solomon builds that temple. And then when you come to the New Testament, you see Jesus in John chapter 2 saying, tear down this temple, and I will build it up in three days. And he was referring to his, himself, his body. And then we come to our, uh, the episodes where Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, it's the church. And then we go into Revelation, where we say there will be a temple in Jerusalem. Right? So the temple and the tabernacle theme is picked up from Exodus all the way into the new creation, right? But it's actually prefigured even before Exodus. Anybody? The Sorry? The garden. the garden. Yes, the garden. That was the place where Adam had, I mean, communicated with God what happened in the temple. That is where he, the high priest went to communicate and to pray and to uh, worship God. So again, we'll All of this is important for us to understand how the narrative flows and how eventually God has put all of these things specifically for a purpose, right? It's not random, just like we said, covenants are not random. Everything in biblical history, it's not random. And that's why the whole Bible is important, right? And when Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed, yes, all scripture is God-breathed, and it is helpful for us. Yes, Lenny. Yeah, so Lenny's stressing the importance of it being a historical reality, especially when it comes to Jonah, where Jesus himself says, someone greater than Jonah is here. Yes, Chris. Can I ask, um, uh, is the only like
1: authentic typology one that is explicitly defined in the New Testament?
0: Um, that's, I guess that's my main question. It's kind of newer to me, I think it is safer for us to lean in that direction now there there is a lot of references to things that are not explicitly called out like when you look at the words type or example you would find very few verses but then in the preaching of the apostles and even in the teaching of jesus we see these concepts are picked up in a lot of places so look for it, there has to be an organic relationship. It's, if we make up something, for example, the red scarlet thread that Rahab tied, that's something that people typically say, oh, that's the blood of Christ. Uh, where do we find that in the New Testament? That's just a reach, right? You're just grasping for straws there. So in that sense, it's safe for us to look at what the Bible refers to as a type and an antitype to understand how they were fulfilled. Any other question? All right. Again, if you, there are a lot of. I mean, typology is a huge concept, and there is so much written, and there are a lot of explanations about what it is and how it functions. And if you're interested, definitely look at. I mean, the book that I uh, mentioned to you, Kingdom Through Covenant, has different, a lot of information. Also, but. I think for us to understand and the covenants and see how Jesus fulfilled it, it's important to know that there was something in the Old Testament that God revealed. It was historical and it was intentional by God and then that same thing was then fulfilled in Christ to a greater extent. Okay, Kevin.
1: happened again in Daniel. It's just remarkable how close the story of Daniel is to Joseph. So so God's people, as they're reading the history, right, or as they're experiencing it, they might be picking up on this. And so when Jesus comes, now all of a sudden Jesus is dying and going to war, and that's how we're preserved. Okay, well we you got something that the Bible is doing there, even though they may not make it explicit.
0: I think that's important just for the recording. If there is a repetition in the Bible, that's also a clue of typology. And yes, repetition, events that occur, or people who go through similar situations as Joseph and Daniel, um, and then to Jesus. Yes, repetition is another key to understand typology in the Bible. Chris? So we third temple? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. You're the third temple, and I'm the fourth temple. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yes, so. <laughs> this
1: probably steals your thunder from later, what you're going to do later. But, but just so, so that people keep coming and understand the importance of understanding the Bible display, just to realize what people do differently with something like the temple. But without covenant theology, you might come to Revelation, read about the new temple, and think Jerusalem, Said there's a temple in Jerusalem. You might be thinking, okay, they're going to rebuild the temple in mm. Jerusalem, which is in the Middle East. But if you understand, you know, the garden was the temple. got destroyed. So God is rebuilding it, you know, in Israel's history. Then Jesus is the fulfillment of it. He's the perfect sort of place, sacrifice, all the times where God... Dispensational.
0: Yeah, so I think, I mean, I don't know if I can summarize all that, but it's more about the importance of understanding the covenants because when you come to the temple, if you have a literal understanding, then you would think that When Revelation talks about temple in Jerusalem, you would be rebuilding, that the Jews would be rebuilding that temple. And we look at that when we get to dispensational, because there's a whole concept of what happens to Israel. That's the big thing when it comes to dispensationalism. And again, but when we understand the covenants correctly, then we can see how Christ fulfilled it and how it applies to us now. Okay. All right. So having said that, let's look at our first covenant and it's called the covenant of redemption so this is a very covenant theology concept what i mean by it is the presbyterians hold on to this very dearly and since we are looking at it as the lord of the covenant lord of the covenants which goes to the lord of the rings themes it's one ring to rule all the other rings if you talk to the uh, presbyterians they will say this covenant is the covenant that rules all the other covenants so Again, typology, no, no kidding. But this is a very significant concept that is advocated in covenant theology, and we can talk about some problems with it once we understand the covenant, but let's first understand what this covenant is and how it is explained. Um, Anybody, have you heard of the covenant of redemption? If you have, what is it? It's also called pactum salutis, if you're high on Latin, but it's mainly, it means salvation agreement. It's an agreement of salvation, okay? This covenant, the parties involved in this covenant is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So definition from Louis Burkhoff, who's one of the Presbyterian uh, theologians, and in his systematic theology, he writes, it is the agreement between the Father, giving the Son as head and redeemer of the elect, and the Son voluntarily taking the place of those whom the Father had given him. So it is an agreement between the Father and the Son, and also the Holy Spirit comes into this, we'll look at that um, briefly. But... It is the agreement between the Father and the Son, where the Father says, Okay, Jesus, or Son, uh, before he was called Jesus, um, I'm going to place you as the head and the redeemer of the elect. And the Son voluntarily takes the place. He does; He's not forced into it by the Father, but the Son voluntarily takes the place. So this agreement is between the Father and the Son, and then the Holy Spirit will apply the work of Jesus to the elect. So this is the covenant and it's called the covenant of rede- this is the agreement and it's called the covenant of redemption. It's between the Father, the Son and the Spirit. Now, again, you can see that the Father is giving the Son the elect. And the Father is giving. So the question is, where do we see this in the Bible? Where do we see the Father giving the son, anything, or the people, or an elect. And again, I have references for you in your handout, Psalm uh, Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. Can someone read that, please? Yeah. So in this Davidic Psalm says, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Again, who is writing this Psalm? It's David, right? And then, but who's the king that we can read in the immediate context? It is David. But then as we said typology, it is pointing to the son who will come and that son is Jesus. And this is what is picked up to say, look, the Father is giving the Son the nations as an inheritance, right? Yes, Ryan. Was there a point in time the not... uh, we'll talk about the time aspect of it in our next slide, but good question. Yes. Again, if you look at Luke twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, this is a very uh, popular verse when it comes to um, the the covenant of redemption. Luke 22:29, Jesus says, "Just as the Father has given me a kingdom, I give to you a kingdom." So, uh, again, I want—I'm summarizing it, but I want to make sure that I get it verbatim. Yeah, Luke 22:29, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Okay so that is again picked up to say look when did god grant jesus a kingdom and if you go into some word studies the word grant is can be translated can be translated as covenanted okay it's the same root word so it's as the father covenanted to me a kingdom i'm covenanting to you a kingdom okay and then again you can uh, Look in John chapter 6, verse 38 to 40, where Jesus says um, in 37 All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day so again going back to the concept of giving the father giving the son and this is again picked up in the covenant of redemption so the father gives the son and the son voluntarily comes down to fulfill the will of the father again so to put it in actual roles of the father and the son and the spirit the father pledges To give a particular people to the Son. The Son pledges to earn salvation for this particular people and the Spirit pledges to apply the salvation to this particular people. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all act in the salvation of the elect. Again, another support for this covenant is all the verses that you find uh, where Jesus said the Father sent me. Okay, you have so many instances in the Gospel of John I think there are like 33 in- instances But again the most famous one that we can think of is John 3:16. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave that he sent his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish Okay um, So these are all Concepts or support for this particular covenant and when was this agreement? Established, again, it was in eternity past, even before creation. Uh, Quickly, can someone read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5? 3 to 5, sorry. So God chose us the elect, even before the foundation of the world, and He chose us in him in the Son. so again, this is again going back to what happened before creation. this again, you'll find the same thing in Second Timothy chapter one verses eight to nine, and also in first Peter um, chapter one and verse three. You'll find the same things about before the foundation of the world. the Father chose before the foundation of the world to give a people to the son. And again, this is very important for us to understand because this was God's plan from the beginning. And there is sufficient biblical support for this um, idea that we are chosen even before the foundation of the world, right? It was not after Adam sinned, it was not after Moses and the Israelites Israelites failed, but it was even before the foundation of the world, even before creation. The whole purpose of creation and God manifesting his glory through creation and through everything that he has done is for this purpose. Eventually, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, to show the glory of himself and his son to a people that he has chosen from all eternity. Okay? Uh, I'm rushing here because we're coming up on time. Um, So is there any specific text in the Bible which says, okay, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit sat down and this is how the covenant happened? Because when you look at the other covenants, there is a ceremony, there are things where God said, I will covenant to you, and there are stipulations, there are agreements, there is an actual covenantal pattern for the other covenants that we look at. But when it comes to the covenant of redemption, you don't find that specifically that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they sat down and this is what they covenanted and this is what they agreed upon. So where do they get this from? Again, we saw all of the verses where the concept is there, but the concept of covenant, how does this become a covenant in its true sense? That is why this is debated highly between Presbyterians and others or at people who hold to covenant theology and others. But I want us to look at one specific verse, um, Zechariah chapter 6, and verse 13. And this is where the main argument is to say, look, here is where the council of peace or the pactum salutis happened. Um, Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. And let me read it quickly. Yes, it is he, and this is talking about um, talking about the high priest who will come. Um, And the story of Joshua in the garments is there before that. And then he's talking about the priest. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne and the council of peace will be between the two, between the two. And that is what is picked up by covenant theologians to say, look, there is a council of peace between the two, but who are the two in this context? The two are the two offices. And again, we can look into that a little more if you're interested. You can look at how is this verse exegeted by the covenant theology people and those who don't say that there is a covenant technically between the Godhead. Okay, and then the other point is, how can there be a covenant between equals? When we looked at the suzerain and Vassal co- covenants or even the Royal Grand Covenants, that you have a greater king and a lower king, and but in this situation, all three are co-equals, so how do we get a covenant between equals? So again, these are the points that are debated to say that, look, this cannot be considered a covenant. Right, so, but presbyterians and covenant theologians will definitely hold on to it and these are the arguments that you will get from them okay so finally what is our takeaway from this covenant of redemption we can we can know that it was god's plan it was the plan of all three persons in the trinity to save the elect and that is a biblical truth okay we can be confident of that The other part is there is harmony. There is unity in God's plan. It's not just the father. And again, most of the times you will see that, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so cruel, but the God of the New Testament is so loving. And so there is no harmony. There's completely different. But no, when you look at the Bible and what the Bible portrays, it was the father who sent the son, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. So there is unity between the father the Son, and the Spirit, and all three of them are acting together to bring about the salvation of the elect, okay? So there is unity, and there is, we cannot pit one person of the Trinity against the other person when it comes to salvation or even how they act. Again, salvation is from the Lord, okay? It was God's plan to save us. It is not our plan. It's not us, but it is God's plan, and God is the one who initiated the plan, God is the one who enacted the plan, and God is the one who completes the plan. It's all from the Lord. Okay? And finally, our salvation is through Jesus. It's not through our works. It's because of what the Son agreed to do, or the Son came down to do, to effect and to win the salvation of the elect. Okay, so these are the things that we can learn from the covenant of redemption. And like I said, when you when we look at covenant theology, they will say, this is the plan that enacts everything else. This is the covenant to rule all the covenants, right? And which is, yes, true, but is it truly a covenant? We can definitely agree with them that yes, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all three act in the salvation of the people, and this plan was from before the foundation of the world. But do we have to call it a covenant? I don't know. That's up to you. I I don't think I'm going to lose sleep by calling this a covenant. But again, it's a glorious truth for us to understand that God is the one who initiates and completes salvation, and we are saved because of Jesus, not because of anything that we do. It's the Spirit of God who applies the salvation to the people of God in time. Lenny. Um, I don't know. I have to look into that. I'm not sure at this point. But then you could also say even before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. So they can point to that also as like, look, that's the ceremony. But I don't know if you can stretch that to that extent. But Yes, that's I haven't looked into that Lenny, that's something that we can look at. Hebrews 13:12, 13, 13:20. 13, okay. All right, we have 2 minutes before we have to run up. Any questions or any comments? All right, so next week, next week we're going to look at the covenant of creation. Okay? And again, the first thing uh, we will look at is talk about Who are the parties involved and what are the stipulations? Are there stipulations? How does that make into a covenant? So all of those things. So next week, we'll talk about the covenant of creation. And if there is time, we will look at the Noahic covenant also. Okay? And again, if you missed the last class or if you want to get handouts or recording, it will be on the website. I think the link is at the bottom of your handout. All right, let me pray and we will go up. Father God, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us, even before the foundation of the world, to unite us to Jesus. And Lord, it's nothing that we have done, but Lord, you have initiated it, and you have brought it to completion through your Son and through the Spirit. And Lord, we also thank you for how you have revealed yourself in history, how you have placed intentional, Types in the old testament to point us to christ and that was your plan all along we praise you for this and we glorify you lord we pray that you will help us understand this better and that our lives will be transformed because of this knowledge father we pray all this in jesus name amen